Welcome to Wallachia. Chapter 5. As the World Falls Down She awoke in her own bed. The curtains had been drawn, and Karina lay staring up at the ceiling at nothing. She realized that she'd come to think of this as her bed. It had happened gradually. Each new morning, when she opened her eyes, the expectation that she'd be in the farmhouse where she'd been born and spent 18 happy years had diminished, until, at some point, this had become hers. A knock on the door, then her lady's maid, Marta, entered, ready to dress her for the day. Miss Karina, slept in your clothes, did you? Did she know nothing of what had happened the night before? Marta helped her dress. When she took off her apron, Karina found a cloth package inside. Unwrapping it, she discovered the honey cake she'd been given the day before. Oh, I forgot about those. Would you like one? Thank you. No, Miss Karina. I don't care much for sweets. You keep them for a treat later. Corina put the cakes in her chest of drawers, along with the unspent coins that were still in her apron, and got dressed. Once ready, Marta led her, as she did every morning, into the dining room. The other girls were already eating. Corina, said Freya. We were so worried, said Irina. We waited for you in the maze, then went looking. We didn't find you, so we asked the guards for help. And they looked, and, well, eventually, we went back to the feast, and they got more guards, and we stayed and danced. Oh, I hope you don't mind. What happened? She had quite a night. It was Elisabetta. Surely she had been told where Karina had wound up. She managed to wander out of the maze and got lost. A kind villager found her and brought her up to the castle. When Karina was eight years old, she disobeyed her father, Jason, in one way or another. She'd long since forgotten what she'd done, but she very clearly remembered that as punishment he'd forbidden her from going to a party the village was having that afternoon. Corina had been looking forward to it for weeks and had no intention of missing it, so as soon as her father had left to tend to something on the farm, she'd snuck off and gone to the festival anyway. The worst part wasn't the punishment. It was that her father didn't say anything to her when she returned, nor anything the rest of the night. He'd said nothing until the next morning. The waiting, knowing the punishment was coming, had nearly killed her. Now, facing a punishment that very likely would kill her, Corina found herself forced to go through the motions. She attended her morning walk with the other girls. She had lunch. She was assigned reading, had tea, and so on. Never did Elisabetta pull her aside. Never was she dragged to a dungeon. Each day passed as if nothing had happened. The next morning, Corina woke up, ate breakfast, tried to pretend she wasn't terrified, and joined the girls for their morning walk. Toward the end of the walk, Corina screamed. What is it? said Irina. Are you okay? said Freya, turning to her. Corina's dark hair framed a face that had gone pure white. I'm fine, I just... I'm fine, said Corina. She wasn't. Corina had seen something of no importance to her friends. A candelabra containing one lone candle. Back in their rooms, she told Irina she didn't feel well after all, and wanted to lie down. She emerged for dinner, ate a few bites of soup, then retired. The night dragged on. Marta came to check on her. She waved her off as quickly as she could. Did Dominic want to explain himself? Had he been captured by the Count and taken to that strange abandoned church a prisoner? Yet he hadn't seemed to be struggling. He seemed to be comfortable there with the Count, as if it had happened before. Over the months, Corina had spent quite a bit of time with her own lips near his neck and had never noticed any wounds there before. Was this why he couldn't see her very often, to conceal what the Count had been doing to him? She knew she shouldn't go. He himself had said he couldn't tell her what had been going on. She knew she had to go. She had to know. So sure was she that this was the end, she decided that she would at least get to see Dominic one last time. When the hour approached, Corina again listened at her door to ensure no one was in the hall. 
As she'd done so many wonderful times, she crept down the hall and turned to the door next to hers. She knew the layout of the room by heart and by now, and made her way inside toward the window in the balcony beyond. The door creaked if it was open too far, and moaned if moved too quickly. She'd learned just the right way to move in without making a sound, and to keep quietly ajar so that she could more easily get out on the way back. After she had taken five steps into the room, she heard a loud moan from behind her, then a slam as the door shut. Had the wind moved it? She swung around and came immediately face to face with Dominic. He had been waiting inside the room for her. Dominic, said Corina, in a whisper that might have been a scream, what's going on? I don't understand. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I told you it was all dangerous. I fell in love with you, but I could never disobey the master. The master, said Corina. Just then, Corina became aware of a strong, cool wind coming from the direction of the balcony. She didn't need to turn around to know what it was. The air around her was growing colder. When she did turn, she saw the mist she'd seen so many nights in her dreams. Yet they hadn't been dreams. How many times had the Count come to her in the night, entrancing her and then making her forget? The attack came quickly. The Count materialized out of the mist and was on her. He threw her down to the bed and forced himself on top of her. He tore away her clothes and sank his fangs into her neck. She felt the flow of blood begin, and then a peculiar sensation. Corina felt as if she had left her body and was floating above it somehow. She could see the Count there drinking her blood. She could see herself trying to struggle, unable to move. She could see that she had no choice, that it was happening no matter what she did. She observed that all this occurred, but no longer felt it. When it was over, the Count withdrew and left her there. Dominic must have gone too. She fell asleep, awoke before sunrise, moved to her own bed, her head foggy, and told no one. Corina felt better in the morning. The fear that someone would find out she had snuck away from the maze had vanished. She felt she might have had a bad dream, but couldn't recall what it had been about. That night, Corina woke to the sound of a giant bat flapping its wings outside her window. She opened it, and the bat flew inside. It began to grow in size and change in shape until it took on the form of Count Dracula. Why she'd opened the window to let it in, she was unsure. It wasn't clear whether it was of her own will or not. What happened next wasn't. Corina felt weak the next day. The day after that, on her morning walk, she felt she could hardly bear the brightness of the sunshine. The days had started to grow shorter, so the sun wasn't even very high in the sky during their morning walk, but she felt hot and exposed whenever she stepped out of the shade. She felt tired, and her eyes burned being outside. Arena expressed concern, told her she looked pale. Freya suggested a glass of wine when they got back to their wing. Corina agreed weakly. Her mind wasn't all there. She trudged through the rest of the walk until, passing by a certain corridor, her eyes rested again on the candle holder she and Dominic had used to communicate so many times. As Corina looked at the candelabra, whatever spell the Count had used on her broke. She felt like she was falling, but was standing completely still. All the memories Count Dracula's trance had suppressed flooded her mind, as if she'd just been dropped into cold water. She remembered the summer's nighttime visits when he'd entranced her and slowly, while never biting her, tried to corrupt her mind, to make her, while living, a monster like himself. She remembered discovering Dominic in that tomb, discovering that the Order of the Dragon acted as food for this fiend, this vampire, to feed upon while he didn't want to risk seeking out victims. She remembered being attacked, being forced to give her his blood, and on the most recent night, how he'd opened his own veins and pushed her head against him and forced her to drink. With utter certainty, Corina knew only two paths lay before her, escape or death. Dominic had warned her, but she had tried to get away. Corina knew she wasn't done trying, 
She hadn't been able to do it by herself, but maybe if she could find a way to get through to Dominic, they would work out something together. The thought of him had brought her to her senses. Maybe his love of her was still there, being held down by the Count's spell, but present. Maybe she could get through to him. If escape proved impossible, at least they'd be together for whatever came next. She barely made an effort of pretending to pay attention to her studies, focusing her mind entirely on how to find Dominic and how to get out of the castle. Her plan, in its entirety, was gather a few supplies, go to Dominic's room, hope he's there, and break Count Dracula's spell over him. Whatever happened after that was out of her control, but at least she could try. The evening meal included a cheese plate and several types of bread. Corina was able to store away a few small loaves and a hunk of cheese. If she and Dominic were able to escape, at least they'd have a bit of food to eat. Are you feeling any better, Corina? asked Diana as dinner ended. You still look very pale, said Irina. I might just need some more sleep, she said, though she felt awful, like the life had been drained from her, which indeed it had. Should she tell them? Were they intended to be next in the Count's awful grand plan? Or had she upset things by discovering him? Maybe he really did plan to send them back to their villages whole but corrupted. If she said something, one of the servants might alert Elisabetta. If she didn't, they would all certainly fall victim to the vampire lord. What would she do if she managed to escape? She could tell her father, but what could he do? The Count was powerful. He had his own army. As it happened, Diana provided the small chance that there was a way that she could help them. We should find a time to visit each other back in our villages. Let's make a pledge. Yes, I'd love that, said Freya. Oh, and we can write letters. My uncle does a lot of traveling, and he'll know how to send them. You absolutely must come to our St. George's Day celebration. It was settled. The girls would all visit one another, and after Corina escaped, she'd find a way to get to the mall, and she'd disclose the Count's dark secret. It wasn't much of a plan, but hopefully they'd be safe until she could see them again. Night fell. Corina selected the outfit she'd worn to the festival, thinking that it was the most common-looking attire she had access to. If they were found outside the castle, it would be better for her to not look like a noblewoman. She also found a dark woolen cloak embroidered with the same gold thread as her apron. It was much fancier than something one of the villagers might own, but it would keep her warm and maybe help her hide in the dark when needed. She put the bread, cheese, and cakes in her apron, along with the coins she saved, and took a deep breath. For the last time, Corina listened at the door. Knowing the Count could come into her room at any time, she decided to go as soon as the way seemed clear. Peering through the door, she saw no one and moved out into the hall. She crept quietly, as she had on other nights, to the room next door. Then, a creak and a light in the hall. Arena stepped out and started as she saw Corina. She gave a puzzled look and opened her mouth, about to ask what she was doing up. Corina returned her look with a glare and put her finger to her lips. Please, Arena, please don't ask. Go back to bed. Irina stood, her mouth open, reading Corina's expression. She couldn't know Corina's predicament, but, mercifully, she seemed to understand that whatever was going on, it wasn't for her to interfere. Corina mouthed, thank you, then, goodbye, and went into the room, shutting the door behind her. After her first return to this room, she'd realized that the sofa wasn't going to be a satisfactory long-term hiding place for the rope ladder. Naturally, if a new guest had come to stay in that room, she wouldn't have been able to use it, but it also wouldn't have done for a maid to come in and discover the rope while tidying. The chest of drawers and wardrobe were out for a similar reason. It was possible one of the outfits in there might be needed by one of the other girls, so Karina settled on stashing it in the fireplace. No fires in the summer. One last time, she retrieved the rope ladder and climbed from the balcony. She had a brief thought that, if things went well, the ladder would remain there until someone found it. What might the next room occupant think, finding a ladder attached to her balcony? 
It had started to rain, and the way was slippery, but, as with every other moment of the night, Corinna resolved to go on anyway. If she met a rain falling on the rocks below, so be it. One of the nights she had gone to see Dominic, she'd almost been found by a guard who'd been walking the hall. She never went around a single corner without checking the way first, so she'd seen him coming from as far away as had been possible, and had hidden in what turned out to be a storeroom. She stopped there now on the way to Dominic's stairway, and allowed herself the time to look for anything she might be able to use. There were two rolled-up rope ladders, in space for where a third had been, but they were too big to carry easily. She took a skin she could fill with water, and some flint and steel too. She made a note to remember to get torches from Dominic's stairwell on the way out. Down the hall, she had to make her way along an uncovered walkway. Partway across was a stone statue of an eagle. Its nest was collecting rainwater. It was overflowing, forming a waterfall that drained into the rocky chasm far, far below. Putting up her hood to keep dry, Corina stopped to fill her wineskin with the black water. In the stairwell, she released the latch on the torch rack and slipped into the secret passageway. It was dark, as always, but this time, as she came around the corner, there was no light coming from inside of the room. She was confident she could find her way in the dark anyway, until she slammed her head into a solid wooden wall. Not knowing she was coming, Dominic hadn't moved the wardrobe out of the way. He'd have heard her hit its back, so she waited for him to come, but there was no sound from inside the room. Bracing herself against the far side of the passage, she was able to budge the heavy wardrobe enough for her to get a foot inside the room, and then use her knees to move it enough so she could slip inside. It was still pitch black. She already knew the answer, but had to be sure, so she crawled back to the stairway, took a torch, lit it, and re-entered the bedroom. Dominic wasn't there. Corina sank into despair. She'd convinced herself that she'd find him inside, asleep. The hard part would be getting through to him, breaking the Count's spell. She searched through his room, unsure of what she might even find, as if she might discover an answer hidden under his bed. Finally, feeling alone as ever, she slunk back out into the hall, latched the passage's entrance closed, and descended the stairs. Back outside, not even bothering to raise her hood, she stood by the eagle statue and looked out into the darkness. Give up and return to her room? Bring the other girls into her confidence after all? Up the walkway was the stair that would take her, after a few turns, to the ladies' wing. In front of her, an opening leading to a covered walk that ended in the castle's courtyard. The exhilaration she felt every time she went to meet Dominic in the night gone, she felt weaker than ever. Her breathing shallow, the Count's many attacks having sapped all her strength, Corina turned and walked into the courtyard. She passed by the many terrible gargoyle statues, walking the courtyard freely. She slumped down onto one of the stone benches, her head in her hands, and wept for a time. Then she took something from under her cloak and turned it over in her hands. Over and over, until above her, she heard a noise, and she didn't even bother to look up to see that a guard walking along one of the passages overlooking the courtyard had seen her. Minutes later, footsteps approached. When they got close, she lifted her gaze enough to see out from her hood. It was Dominic. I'm to take you to see the Count, was all he said. His face was stern, but did it hint that he wasn't happy about the idea? She stared down at the small item she was holding. Then, eventually, the tears in her eyes mixing with the rain, she looked up at her beloved. Dominic, please. You have to come out of it. It's me, your butterfly. I'm sorry, but the master. I can't defy him. It's me. Please, don't you see? All this time, he's had this plan, but we have a choice. Even if he's too strong, even if he forces us, at least we can make a choice. We can choose love. We can be free. Even if we can't be free of him. It's like, it's like paradise lost. Evil turned to good and, and light out of darkness. The Count, Count Dracula, he wants, he wants to make me the queen of his underworld, of this awful place. But I don't have to be. You can be Cupid. I can be Psyche, don't you see? 
We have that. Even if he takes everything else, we can write our own story. Even if he can't write the ending. Maybe in the end it's a tragedy. But right now we can choose. Whatever power he has, he has no power over us. Here, Karina stood, took the object she'd been holding, and, with two hands, held it up to him. It was the small wooden box he'd been given by the townspeople. She'd taken it from his wardrobe after finding his room empty. Just now, before you came, I opened it and let a teardrop fall inside. It's not a drop of my beauty like you wanted. It's my love. It's my sorrow. She sat back down. It's all I have. He took it. All this time he hadn't looked at her. Now he met her eyes, opened the box, then closed it. Two guards had moved to one of the entrances by the courtyard. Dominic turned to them, nodded, then turned back to Karina. I'll take you to the count now. Corina wilted. Dominic picked her up and carried her out of the courtyard. The other guards offered to help, but he said, The master instructed me to bring her to him, me alone. He carried her up into the castle, to a part where Corina had never been. Inside a barely furnished room, he shook her until she awoke. She looked around the mostly empty room. In one corner seemed to be piles of gold, and another a large door. Butterfly, it's almost sunrise. We need to wait a bit longer. Then we can go. Corina looked up. She was so tired she wanted to sleep. She didn't understand what was happening. She felt empty, yet not hungry. Her eyes closed again, then opened. Dominic had lost the severe affect. He seemed himself. She lost consciousness again. Through the windows, the sky turned red, then orange. The sun rose above the mountains. Okay, it's time to go. Can you walk? He led her through the heavy door in the room and down a circular stone stairway. At the bottom, a long passageway led into darkness. She stumbled and he caught her and carried her some of the way. When eventually they emerged, Corina realized she recognized the place. They were again in the tombs beneath the town's chapel. Nearby was the crypt she'd seen the other day. They passed by it. She forced herself to look inside and saw that the lid to the great coffin was secure. Was the Count sleeping there even now? They came outside in daylight. Corina barely had the energy to walk. Dominic helped her, and they moved in silence. On the edge of town, an old woman sat weaving on a loom set up in front of her house. She stared at them as they went by, but neither asked what they were doing nor offered to help. They passed a man with a cane leading a cart drawn by a mule. He nodded in respect to Dominic's uniform and allowed Corina to ride in the cart with the sticks he was hauling. The man wanted to know where they were headed. She said nothing and slept. After the man arrived at his home, Dominic helped her off the cart and led her into the forest. They found a giant elm tree. The base of his trunk was covered in soft moss. He laid her down against it and she slept some more. When she awoke, it was already evening. They walked on. She didn't know how far they'd gotten from the village, but surely the Count would have sent people to find them by now. The sun set and a gibbous moon rose. They heard the howling of a great many wolves. They walked on until, on every side, they heard movement. They'd come into a clearing in the dark forest and now Corina saw that three wolves were circling them. Dominic drew out a torch. They hadn't wanted to use one to help them stay hidden, but he lit it now. The three wolves went around and around them. She saw their red eyes and champing teeth, heard them leap and snap. Dominic slashed at them with his torch when they got too close, but they knew they had the advantage. They circled and snapped and snarled. At times it seemed like their three heads were all parts of one savage beast. A thought occurred to Karina, and she reached into the apron, producing the honey cake from the festival. She held it up and then tossed it behind her. A momentary opening appeared in the wolves' perimeter, and Dominic pulled her along as they ran through it. Soon they came to a river. They weren't sure how deep it might be, so Dominic waded in. It seemed safe to cross, 
but Corina was struck with an unnatural terror. She could not cross that water. He pulled her hand, but she found the strength to fight back. Come on, we have to go. Butterfly! I can't. I can't. She knew they had to keep moving forward, but found she simply could not cross into the running water before her. She turned and headed down the bank of the river. Dominic followed. After a time, they came to a small dock. A filthy man wearing a tattered cloak was there, loading things onto a small boat. Dominic approached him. He pulled down his hood, and Corina saw he had a bushy, unkempt beard. In the torchlight, his eyes seemed to glow like fire. Dominic pled for him to let them cross on this boat, but the man refused. Corina, feeling sick at being so near the running water, remembered that she still had two silver coins left from the allowance she'd been given at the festival. She pulled them from her apron and, wordlessly, gave them to the hideous man. He nodded and let them board. The rest of the trip was a blur. Corina slept for long stretches of it. Dominic carried her as much as he could. She remembered riding in a cart for some of the way. She remembered clinging to him on the back of a horse. Having him with her gave her some strength, but they both knew that her life was slipping away from her. They rode into a small town, and the local priest took them in. He gave them somewhere warm to sleep and wash, and agreed them to take them on a leader wagon. A day later, the morning of the Harvest Festival, they rode into her village. Thank you for listening. Chapter 6, Home at Last, will be out in two weeks. You can follow Wallachia on Twitter at WallachiaNet or on the web at Wallachia.net. If you'd like to read or listen ahead, you can download the Wallachia app for free from the App Store.